You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. Last time, Woodrow set out to find his lost great cat, Tamberline, on a tropical island only to be waylaid by a couple of bad-natured salvagers. In exchange for his freedom, he's agreed to help the evil couple with their giant cephalopod problem. But a mysterious girl traveling with the salvagers has warned him not to trust his captor's word. What's a fugitive kid to do? And now... Lies and Half-Truths presents The Moon Shadow, first book of the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked. Part 1, Cephalopod Sign. Chapter 3 Tamberline was still wet. She still had sand irritating her in sensitive places. Her mouth was still dry from the seawater she had swallowed. In addition to all this, she was now out of breath, thirstier than ever, and hungrier. Also, she had twigs in her mane. She'd chased the seagull into the heart of the island, through the ever-thickening jungle. Many, many times she had the bird within her reach, only to have her paws clapped together empty. The gull would hop more than fly, cackling in a manner akin to the irritating sound humans made when amused. Tamberline wanted to crunch the bird's hollow bones between her jaws, she wanted to tear out his throat and taste his blood pulsing in her mouth, at first rapid with fear, then slower and slower as his eyes grew vacant. She found herself plunging out into the thicket into a shallow pool. On the other side, the earth rose in a rocky cliff, white water pouring down from it. She backed out of the water and sniffed the air, but heard the bird's cackle before she smelled him. The bird stood upon a rock at the fountainhead, staring down at her. Tamberline looked around. She thought she might be able to climb a tree and from there leap to the gull's perch. But in the time it would take to get there, he would have surely flown. She sat and studied the bird. The gull cocked his head at her. He seemed to be making a study of her as well. A sudden gust of wind blew through the jungle leaves, tickling Tamberline's ears. She thought she heard a voice, a whisper in the wind. She blinked, and the gull was gone. Another gust tossed the jungle, and as if blown in on the current, the gull reappeared, not five feet from Tamberline. She blinked again. Now three gulls stood before her, identical in every way. The wind whispered to her once more. This time, she understood the words. I tire of this game, don't you? 
The voice was low as the roaring tide, but soft as the breeze it blew in on. The gulls blinked at her in unison. Let's change it up a bit. Which of the three gulls before you am I? You choose and pounce. I will hold still. The wind quieted. All three birds looked alike to Tamberline. But with the wind gone, she could use the most acute of her senses. She skewed up her muzzle and sniffed. The leftmost gull smelled as she had expected, of salt water and salty air, except richer than it should. The middle and right gulls were all wrong, though. One smelled of mud, rust, decay, rotten fish, crabs, and algae. The other gull smelled of spice and metal. Gold, to be precise. It occurred to the great cat that this riddle might have broader implications than she first suspected. The diving helmet was sized a bit too generously for Woodrow's head, but the rubber flange around his neck and shoulders would seal out the water. He took it off. You're a fool to go down there without the rest of the diving suit, said Leatherbag. He took the helmet and attached it to the airline, fitting the two pieces together with a steel clamp that had to be tightened with a special tool. It'll limit my range of motion, Woodrow explained. I need my arms and legs to move freely, or I won't be able to do the cephalopod sign language. The girl crossed her arms and leaned against the outside wall of the ship's cabin. Cephalopod sign language? I thought that was just a story. I hope not. I spent a lot of time learning it, and if it doesn't work, then Anamiho is likely to eat me. The youngsters laughed nervously. The old couple laughed too, but a little more heartily than Woodrow thought tasteful. I'll turn the air pump on. As soon as it's going, you can start your dive, said Leatherbag. He followed the hose to the stern of the ship. Gravelthroat eyed Woodrow for a second. So, if you succeed in talking the monster out of its shell, you want what? Exactly. I told you, all I want is to return to my ship and get off this island. The old woman scowled. That it? I'm going to look for my cat first. But then I'm gone, promise. I have no interest in your, ahem, salvage. She squinted at the boy. Woman! Leatherbag called from the stern. I need you! Useless old man. Can't do anything without my help, the old woman said, and waddled off to assist her husband. They're not going to let you go, said the girl when the old woman was gone. I know. They'd just as soon cut your throat as reveal the location of this island to any outsiders. I gathered that. So what's your plan? Woodrow glanced at the old couple, arguing over the air pump. Get off this boat, he told the girl in a low voice. As soon as you can. The girl's brow went tight. Trust me, Woodrow said. The sound of an engine firing up interrupted them. The old couple came shuffling back. Woodrow sat at the edge of the ship, feet dangling overboard, sandbags hanging from his ankles. The old man rested the diving helmet 
on the crown of Woodrow's head. Don't try anything clever, boy. All we have to do is cut off your hair. Woodrow ignored the threat. I'm ready. The old man pushed the helmet down on Woodrow's head. Woodrow could hear a faint hiss from the tube at the back of the helmet, and he took a breath to test the airflow. It seemed abundant enough. He signaled to the old salvagers and pushed himself off the side of the ship. The sandbags broke the water first, pulling him down, down, down. He descended in silence, save for the hiss of air pumping into the diving helm and the sound of his own breath. Schools of fish scattered around him in the quivering blue sunlight. He looked down into the shady water below. The shapes of iron masts, holes, and gun turrets rose up to meet him. Rusted monuments of war and antique engineering genius. He could see the Firebrand battlecruiser, surrounded by her one-time foes, now companions on the bottom of the sea. Sea plants grew from her hole, portholes, and gun ports. Inside the vessel's belly, Woodrow knew a tentacled giant lay curled up and hidden. Despite his pretended confidence aboard the ship, the prospect of the sea beast emerging from his shell made Woodrow's heart race. In the stories about the Nanamiho, the tribes offered sacrifices to the great beasts. Human sacrifices. In exchange, the Nanamiho protected the islands, fighting off the invading northerners and their smoke-belching ships. The Nanamiho had taught the tribe's people a language based on tentacle gestures. The tribes adapted the language for the use of someone with only four limbs and performed it in mid-air while jumping from cliffs into the water. A single conversation could take a very long time. If Woodrow said the wrong thing, he wouldn't have a chance to clarify. He would be gobbled up without ceremony. By the time Woodrow's feet touched the sand, he had a sick feeling in his stomach. What am I doing? He had taught himself cephalopod sign from a book in his father's library entitled Esoteric Languages and Ciphers. It was just something to occupy his time, something to file away along with other useless information like the arcane names ascribed to the moon's continents. His father often told him to learn as much as he could because he never knew what would come in handy in a pinch. He wished his father were with him now. Tamberline narrowed her eyes at each of the goals in turn. She looked at the pool. Fish danced here and there beneath the rippled water, unaware of the contest beyond the glassy lens that sealed their world. When the moment she had been waiting for arrived, Tamberline pounced. The water leapt up around her with a smack. A fish squirmed beneath her paw. She dipped her nose in and clamped down with her jaws. The fish wriggled in her grasp, but she held it firm, being careful not to break the skin. Tamberline came out of the pool, laid the fish before the seagulls, and bowed her head. The goals blinked in unison. A burst of wind jostled the leaves.
Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Mackenzie Stubbard. Consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths.